What's Cooking, supported by Auckland Art Gallery Toyo Tamaki. Become a member today for great art benefits. A big shout out to Auckland Art Gallery. And uh, we've been joined by Blank from Camp Aloham on the phone all the way from Wellington, I believe you're down that way. Yeah, I mean, we've only just got phones now, so yeah. it's pretty amazing. I, I, think, I think I'm the first person <laughs> to, to talk on the out. phone down here. Yeah, I know. Man, it was hard. Epic. To, yeah, it was great. It was great to be able to tee up this conversation. Now, I mean, yeah. goodness me. Wow. Uh, Camp Aloham is back after quite a hiatus. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, good, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. What on yeah. earth has inspired you to f- fire back up the festival vibe? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a dark way to start, but um, uh, when um, Reuben Winter um, passed in uh, 2020, um, it got me looking for the very... So when my last camp happened in 2014, it was just like rain for three days and four nights, and um, it was the most brutal experience of my life, having to just like completely reconfigure everything I'd dreamed about and mm. curated and everything finally considered just on the fly, putting bands and creating random spaces, random stages. And so I couldn't look at the video footage. I couldn't even look at any photos from it. I just couldn't bear to look at it. And um, when he passed, I just needed to see videos of him performing and playing. So I finally got around to looking at the video. And then um, that, and I just realized it was a really good time. (laughs) Because I didn't know at the time. I was just so busy trying to like, save whatever I could and like move stages and shut down things. I didn't get to see anything. Mm-hmm. I was just so, you know, but I was just like, I was looking at all these moments inside, the sp- especially the indoor spaces and bands were just playing the best sets that have played. I was like, wow, this is blowing me away. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started, because I'd, st- I'd been making a Camp Aloham film since 2009 as well. And so I thought, oh, maybe I should like start <laughs> go back to film because that last festival had just so destroyed my love of the festival that mm-hmm. I just had not stopped. so I started looking at all the footage again I was like man this is really good and like you know there's nothing like it in the world mm-hmm. and uh, I just and then I started I, 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 I travelled over to Australia and I interviewed lots of the bands who played the last one and all these Australian artists who had never even been to a camp before and they were just telling me how 2014 was the you know the best time of their lives and I just couldn't believe it because for me it was a total, you know, disaster compared to every other event I've ever done. So I, so I figured if, you know, if at my worst camp still that still a great time for people, um, that's a good sign. And um, and yeah, just looking at all this stuff, just it got me inspired. Um, I had all these ideas, all these things I regretted, all these risks that I regretted not taking at the time, and I'm kind of like bold enough now to just do exactly the vision that I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Now, for people out there listening, they can, they can of course, head along to aloham.com and find the deets on Camp Aloham. But how would you describe it? I mean, what is Camp Aloham? How many people head along and what happens? So I started it. Um, I'd been touring the bands around the country for a couple of years, and um, everyone kept on asking me to do a music festival. But I kept on telling people, oh, yeah, but music festivals suck. And um, and then one day someone was just like, well, why don't you just make one that doesn't suck? And um, and I was like, is it even possible? Mm. Like, they suck so bad. So I, um, I just started writing a list of everything that I hated about music festivals. And then I just thought to myself, can I now make something that's the complete opposite? Um, and so I started looking around at places and I started thinking about all the ways that I could, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. What, what are the things that you don't like about festivals? Too many people. 
Yeah, that's, that's one thing. You know, so, so, and these lead on to everything else. So too many people means there's cues everywhere, which means there's stress, which means you can't get to the shade. You know, you're running around, you miss things. You're like constantly kind of like looking at your watch, you look at the timetable, you're trying to work out what's on where. Suddenly one stage starts running late and you're like going, oh, all your perfectly laid plans where you're like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to catch this band this stage and that, then that's all out the window. You know, you lose your friends, you know, you try, you're, you're in queue to get some drinks but you've got to get some tokens first, then you've got to go get the drinks. And then you're like, you know, you had to prepay to get your thing loaded up first. And then you're like, oh, I know, but how much credit am I going to have left with? So you've got to start working out how much money you've got left. Mm. So it basically just all compounds, like all these little things, which festivals don't understand, they all add up to just a terrible experience. Mm. And um, and so I just, I just decided to just get rid of all of that. Like just anything bad is gone. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's and that's why people like camp because it's relaxed. You know, um, for example, you know if, if you've ever found yourself, yeah, as I said before, you know, getting frustrated because you don't know who's playing where, you, things are running late, things are going crazy. You know, at camp, generally there's never any clashes. If one stage starts running late, mm. they all bump back. They all yes. adjust. So you can just wait till one band's finished on that stage and then the entire audience as one community all moves to the next stage. And then, you know, half a dozen times during the day, what will happen is that, the, that crowd will break off into two or three chunks and go to smaller stages. And then the bands who are playing on those smaller stages, they will get to play twice mm. and they won't play at the same time as the band they were playing against the previous time so it means and it's still in a really relaxed way so it still means you can see every single band mm-hmm. on the lineup and easily so that that's just one way that i deal with one problem now from memory correct me if i'm wrong but you do not announce a lineup you just get yeah, a ticket yeah. and trust in your curation usually it's a combo of australian and new zealand artists yeah like it's usually kind of um of the kind of 80-odd bands on the official lineup, mm-hmm. there'd be sort of usually like 10 international, 20 to 25 Australian, you know, 50-odd Kiwi bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also a renegade room, which, you know, because I'd be at festivals and I'd be like, man, I know bands better than this or I can play better than this band. And so I create an environment where, yeah, if you reckon you're awesome and you should have been on the bill, there's a dedicated PA, engineer, backline, anyone who wants can play. Um a set and so there's probably another 70 odd bands who will play there over the weekend as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah nice. and i don't announce i don't announce lineups because that was a thing that really bothered me about you know particularly the big day outs that i used to go to um when they're around you know like i remember the most one of the most brutal experiences like i wasn't a big fan of the dandy warhols but you know i was kind of trying to watch their set but you know they were the last band on that stage before metallica were going to be on that stage so obviously the entire audience like 50 percent metallica fans who were just booing the band while they're playing yes. and so f- festivals get into this problem where it's like there's two people are there to see particular artists mm-hmm. and then they're not there to engage or appreciate other artists. They're not going there necessarily for exploration or discovery. They're going there to like satisfy their kind of urge to see a favorite band. Yes. So 
camp kind of removes all of that and it puts everybody on an even playing field. So when you get your book on the first day, you probably haven't heard of most of the bands. So you don't know who's famous and who's not. You know, when I have when I present you with twenty five Australian bands, they could all be the most famous band in the country. You know, some of them are big, some of them are really small. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for the Australian bands. They don't know they don't know if anyone's popular or not. So everybody it's just removed all hierarchy. And so suddenly everyone just like listens to everyone's music because they're like not trying to think about, you know, who's got the most plays or who's biggest on Spotify or whatever. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now, hey, we've, we've got a couple of songs lined up. I feel like we, sh- we should um, play a tune and then maybe come back and have a bit more of a chat about this festival situation. What would you like to play and why? Um, well, let's, let's play this Totems track because he was the catalyst for this festival even coming back in the first place. And um, so let's kick off with him first in this chat. Totems as selected by Blank from Camp Aloham. Camp Aloham, if you just tuned in, returning 
for 2024. Um, now, you, uh, Blank, you published a book. Uh, I don't know how long ago yeah. it was. It was a while ago now. Uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I, I, I coincided the release with the closing of the experimental venue I ran puppies. Yes. So, yep, yep. Yeah. Now, quite a few musings and ideas on uh, the music scene in Aotearoa. Uh, some of the problems that artists face, problems you might encounter with venues and or, um, I guess, getting your chops as an artist. Um, but you, you popped up a few ideas here and there about how uh, venues could potentially um, improve the ways they operate and maybe get a strong uh, music scene happening in Aotearoa. One of the things that kind of struck a chord with me was doing like early sh- like doing two shows. In an evening, like an early setting for those that have finished work and a show a bit later in the evening for for bands and having a couple of venues in town doing it so people get to play a couple of times a night. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an idea I spent a long time working on. Um, it actually came when I was doing my zine back in like the early 2000s. Um, this Kiwi who was also half Japanese had gone home um to Japan for a while and they were going out to their first show and I think it was actually like the Datsuns maybe mm-hmm. um, were playing there and so they were going to review it for my zine and so they like rocked up to the show at like 9 o'clock kind of like oh yeah sweet um, went to band on <laughs> it's like the show had finished ages ago yes. and they were just like what <laughs> and um, having no idea that you know in that um, scene that shows you know shows are kind of like the first thing you do in the night then you go out for dinner or you go to a movie mm-hmm. um so that's kind of what got me thinking on like why are we so beholden to the way that bars have been forcing us to do things, you know? Um, because not everyone is the same. You know, there are people with jobs and you know people who are students, you know, people who study. So it's like why not have? You know, because it works for everybody. Because the, the main problem is that bars run everything. So bars want you in there as long as possible. So they want the bands taking a long time to change over because that's when they're selling drinks on the bar. Mm. They want you to be there as late as possible because that's when you're kind of like, you're drinking more, you're not caring how much you spend. They want you getting as drunk as possible. It's just, it's so, it's so, it's so gross. But anyway, that's part of the reason. So I was like, okay, how can I get bands, bars happy? Because to make this whole thing, we're going to get bars happy. So, okay, they want people in there for longer. Okay, so how do we, why don't we just do two shows in one night? Why don't we just start one show at six o'clock? finishes at nine then you just do a second show from like 10 to one so you know it could be the same show twice or you mm-hmm. know people people would like run around town you could do like an early shot this venue um i spent ages talked to venues and i was like oh you know this is how you organize the changeover this is how you do it all um so when i ran my venue puppies i sort of started to like eke in some of the important elements of it you know like i i advertised all my playing times and they were stuck to strictly you know every poster had the playing times those bands would play i absolutely stuck to them i like got really really tough on bands if they ran over time and then i did a second show um every weekend night so i would kick off a show at like i i, I did like eight to twelve and then twelve to two rather than the kind of ideal six to nine because i kind of wanted to ease in but um Sadly, even though there are a few venues who, when puppies closed, there were probably a number of venues who started advertising playing times. They kind of didn't stick with it like I did, um, and it sort of just sort of fell by the wayside a wee bit. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a shame. Like there were lots of little things. I, I saw like lots of people from that book. They took some of the ideas and they tried to implement them, but it's like you know, I don't think a lot of people really stuck with them as kind of hard as they could have. Yes. Do you think it's got harder yeah. for bands nowadays to? get more time on the road 
and play more um, shows? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really tough out there. I mean, that was, yeah, at, at the end of the book, you know, when I just talk about, like, the problem, the, the big problem with being New Zealand is simply that our population is too small mm. and our land mass is too large. Yes. You know, if it was either or the other, you know, if it was a small population, a small land mass, it'd be fine. But, I mean, it costs too much to get around the country, um, you know, just getting from, you know, I mean, like, yeah, for a financially viable, you've got like four or five cities in the country you can play in, but the travel to those countries, it's so exponential, especially with flights going up post-COVID. Mm. It's now so difficult to tour. Um, finally, show prices are starting to go up. You know, finally, 15 to $20 is becoming the norm. Um, it's it outrageous when you think about it because you can pay $14 <laughs> for a beer in town at the moment. It's like, it's it is, trash. It is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how long it took up to, to, to just stop $5 being the norm. Like, that yeah. was just wild. Um, but, yeah, it took a lot of people fighting for that. And it's still it's still so cheap. $15 is still so cheap to go to a concert that's, mm. like, running for, like, three, four hours with, like, you know, four, four bands playing it or whatever. It's, it's insane. So, yeah, I mean, the... You know, in the book, if you kind of read through the book, it talks about basically like it's all coming back down to how to how to get the music and arts cultural sector in New Zealand as buzzing as the rugby sector, basically, mm. as sports. And it's like trying to work out, well, you know, sports is a thing that's like, you know, we're nurtured and we're, you know, that it's, it's so ingrained in like schools and youth and club culture, mm. but mu- music and arts aren't. And it's like, okay, well, how can we kind of get young people and when they're like 10, 11, 12, 13 mm. as interested in the arts? And so um, in, in the book, I talk about lots of ideas about like, ways we can kind of get schools more involved and like get kind of more interest because you, you, it's not necessarily that you're trying to build the talent but you're trying to build the audience so it's like you have to get people who are interested in art and who actually want to engage with it you know i remember i mean for me i, mean, I don't know but i'm pretty sure the, the trigger one of the big triggers that would have got me into being engaged with live music would have been Supergroove coming and playing at my high school, school. when yeah. i was 13 schools too you know um yeah, like that that was massive, you know. I mean, there were only like I think from memory there were like fifty, sixty people in that hall watching mm-hmm. it. But it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it set me off on a path um of being an engaged audience member and lover of local music for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, like, you know, I mean I wasn't a fan necessarily of those bands, but you know, but those schools tours with like Stereogram and Wash and all that sort of stuff that happened through the early two thousands, mm-hmm. I mean, they would have been really good for like getting people just to become regular showgoers. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's various BFM DJs that have been on, you know, on the dial over the years that have had very fond recollections of schools schools tours and or at some point, you know, BFM got out and did it, you know, like, I mean, it's a while ago now, but... Yeah. You know. and, the thing is, and, and, it's, and it's not just about music, you know. I think I, I talk in the book even about just like, you know, pre- pre- having fine arts being presented at high schools and, you yeah. know, having like, um, you know, really great artists actually go around and like visit and, you know, do like but in, engaging artists. So people that yeah. like young people can actually kind of like, it, you, you need kind of like, you know, that, you know, that like the gateway, you know, the gateway drug kind of artist, yes. you know, who's going to like, um, but, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, as a society, we could be taking a lot more of an active role in getting like young people actually engaged in cultural practices as well as sports. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much focus on sports, and this is not, I'm not just in sports. You know, I played sports all growing up, and it's a really, really important part of a balanced childhood. But I think also, I wish more time had been spent on 
give me, give me culture. <laughs> oh, gee, you are. You know, I'm so, I'm so uncouth now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just before we go on to another song, one thing that I'll also bring up because you were talking about rugby and such, I was like, you know. We play like what local games of rugby on Prime during a weekend. We we all kind of gather up in our lounges to watch, uh, you know, All Blacks games. Um, do we do the same thing with live music here in in New Zealand? I, I would think the answer is oh no. <laughs> I mean, imagine if a fraction of the audience who watched an All Blacks game on a Saturday night went, was in, was caring about music. I mean, mm. so one of my, one of those vivid memories of touring for me, a uh, couple. I mean, I was. I was playing the Hard Rock Cafe. It was a band called The Fanatics. I think it was like an early 2000s Auckland band. And we were playing like the Hard Rock Cafe in Queenstown. And um, the, like, the way, where the bands played was kind of this weird sort of like the bar was divided in two by like a fireplace. And so we had to play on the other side. And then basically there was a, there was a game on. And so everybody was over the other side. Nobody was watching the band at mm. all, right? There's like maybe 50, 60 people in the bar. They're all just watching the rugby, all getting really frustrated by the bands even playing. And then so at the very, very end of the set, um, I can't remember one of the band members, it was only two pieces, they said, hey, thanks everyone, we were LMNOP. And then suddenly there's like... <laughs> <laughs> Three or four of the um, the people on the other side of the bar like suddenly go what what and they're like but then they decide to even just like walk two meters to look around the other side of the fireplace but mm. yeah you know and once I was with a band playing on the ferry and it was during a, a, a football World Cup game that was just you know like two other countries you know it would be like Netherlands and France or something but you know everyone was just telling us to shut up constantly and yeah it's just not much of an appreciation of. Uh, you know, the old music out mm. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, should we yeah. play another track? What What would you like to play sure. and why? Um, I reckon probably that one. Have you got one Talia's lined up? Well, no, what, have, what have you got? We've got Carb on Carb. Uh, oh, yeah, we got we got the Lonta- Lontales. Lontales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this, this was actually a performance when I was going through all that video. This was a performance that kind of brought a tear to my eye because, you know, that was a really important show. I think he would have been 16 at the time or whatever when his band played. And I just thought that it had been a devastating thing that the band had even got to play. And I watched this performance and it was just everybody huddled around in this like really tight community. And I just looked at everyone's faces and it was just this beautiful, beautiful performance. And I was just like, I've watched it over and over and over so many times. And it just, it really made me realize how important the community and that magic of small intimate audiences are and um yeah and this is also this is just a brand new track of his came out like a couple weeks ago and it's a banger so let's play it I want 20 other 
Blink on the line from Camp Aloham, returning to Wainui Amata for two weekends in February 2024. How do you go about curating these lineups, mate? They're enormous. How do you do it? Yeah. Um, well, I think, and I mean, like, if, if there's a promoter out there or curator who wants to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I take it more seriously than anybody in that... It's actually the reason I'm doing this interview is that I've, I've, I haven't done any interviews about camp. I think maybe in the entire history of camp, I've done like two interviews for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've actually used and abused BFM's services the past <laughs> six months. So, man, curation now is so different to what it was 10 years ago. Yes. You know, I, in, the last, in the last six months, I've watched every single live-to-air streaming video on you know um, BFM, Radio 1, RDU, Active... Uh, RNZ, you know, and then even like just all the amazing people out there, you know, like Dunedin um, uh, Sound.com and like up in Auckland, uh, Andy Young, Young Hamblin or whatever, who's filming like every single like metal show for the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and putting them all online. I've watched, I I just don't even know how much, but I've watched like just thousands of hours worth of every single band in the country um and so that's like the first process for me and then um because the beauty of not announcing bands is i can take my time kind of 
and I actually look, I have to watch all of the bands first before I even start to try to piece together the perfect lineup through all these bands. So mm-hmm. I then, I'm now in the kind of thing where I'm going to spend like four months traveling New Zealand and Australia, just going to show after show, but also going to people's rehearsals and their houses. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've got people all around New Zealand, all around Australia who are putting on shows for me of all their favorite bands, um, going over to Melbourne for four days and a couple of weeks. Um, Adelaide, Perth, um, Hobart, Sydney, Newcastle, um, and again, all around New Zealand through, you know, Wanganui, Palmy, Christchurch, Dunedin, Auckland. I'll be putting on a bunch of shows. All, all year I'll be doing this. Um, and as well, I go to, during the day when I'm not doing shows, I go to people's rehearsals, um, which is where this track from, um, next one from Mesocosa is coming up. You know, like if there's a band that can't play at one of the shows, you know, I'll just say, hey, look, can, you just play a show at one of your lounges and I'll cruise around and check it out. And this was one of my favorite. It was so ridiculous. It was in this totally um, downtrodden flat and they only had, it was, a, it was like a six piece or seven piece band. It's like epic, crazy Mexican punk band. And like, they just had like one guitar amp and they're running like two guitars and a bass, a bass guitar through. And like, they couldn't actually fit a drum kit in there. So it was just kind of like a, a kick drum and like a snare. And then like just a couple of people were playing like trumpets. And I think the vocalist was trying to run the mic through the guitar amp as well but just like scream at the top of his lungs and um they were just like and i was just sitting on this couch opposite these like six like crazy <laughs> punks just all like trying to like play it with high energy because you know they're trying to still play an energy show you know like even in their middle room and um it was just a, a, a beautiful show. I mean, things, but I've, I've done that so many times, and it's one of my favorite things about even curating lineups is just these weird circumstances, you know. And like, there's like producers who have never ever played shows before, and I'll just pop around to their house and they'll just like pull out their laptop or whatever, and we'll just like, you know, go through tracks from the Ableton and stuff, and I'll, and I'll just play some tunes and we'll chat. Or you know, I've been in Australia and people have driven me out like an hour out into the wilderness to like some weird little cabin and you know their, their folk band will just sit around and i'll just like hang out and we'll i'll listen to their band for a while we have some drinks and then head back into town it's like it's one of my favorite parts of the process but mm. i i consider every single band so every single band that i have an open application process on my website anyone at all can like just send me links to their stuff i watch and pay attention to everything any single band that does anything in this country, if you put yourself out there, make music videos, do live tears, I will watch that video. I'll probably go and see you live if I can. Um, and, you know, because there's there's so many different things about curating the lineup. You know, I'll just have one thing. So this is like one thing I'll take into account, right? Mm-hmm. You know? so, so if I'm looking at two bands and I like them equally, I think a lot of festi- festivals will go with the more popular band. You know, they'll be like, oh, that band's on the label. They're touring a lot. They got more fans. They're going to bring a lot more people to shows. Whereas I'll look at them and I'll go, well, actually, that band's getting all of the opportunities. So I'll go with the band that I think is just as awesome mm. that doesn't have all those opportunities. But, you know, but saying that, you know, I still want some people on the festival lineup that, you know, people have heard of. You know, you have to balance this thing where it's like you can't just give all the opportunities every time to everybody who always gets them. It's like you need to, you know, make sure that there's room for new people to come through. You know, it's like it's important to grow um, the base, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, that's just like one curatorial decision that I, 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 I develop as I'm. So I'll plan to see probably about 2,000 bands live wow. this year. Wow. And then, like, I mean, one time in Australia, 
I saw 500 bands in one month. It was so stupid. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that crazy anymore. But, I mean, I generally go to, like, four shows a night. Whenever I go out, I'm going to four shows. And then I'll generally go to, like, three or four rehearsals every single day. Um, and it's just a case of just being relentless and absorbing everything. And it's like, I, love, I mean, I love music. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Mm, yeah. I love seeing live music. It's like, this is the greatest part. It's my favorite part of the job is getting to see every single awesome band in Australia. I think uh, we should reiterate for bands out there, just one more time, aloham.com is where yeah, yeah, they just, could go and if they want to touch base and uh, send you some... Yeah, and, 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 and I don't ask, like, I hate bios and EPKs more than anyone else. Mm. The thing is, like, I'm a performer myself and I travel around Europe playing shows and I, I, I hate how demeaning it is to have to like sell yourself to someone. So, you know, people just like throw in their name, email address. And if you just want me to Google you, just click Google me mm-hmm. and I'll do the work, you know, like it's fine. But if you if Google results, if your name is so generic that Google will not turn up results for your band, then give me some links. Yes. But otherwise, otherwise just let me do the hard work, you know. Nice but yes, there's a lot of bands out there with generic names who uh, probably should give me some links, but no. <laughs> it just means I've got to work. It just means I've got to work harder. I've got to then Google band Auckland or band, you know, whatever. Just takes me an extra ten seconds. Now, Camp Aloham, two weekends, Feb fifteenth to the eighteenth, and Feb twenty second to the twenty fifth. Tickets are uh, on sale on the fifteenth of April. So, yeah, yeah so how do, Saturday how do you, seven thirty. Just register, pre-register. Well, yeah. So, so I mean, if you pre-register, it means I just send you a direct link. Um, to a site that will bypass my website, which will likely crash, um, that will send you straight to the box office, and I send you the link 24 hours before, and then also one hour before tickets go on sale. And then also, there's also a page on my website that just shows the exact process with like screenshots of exactly what you'd expect of when the tickets do go on sale, so you don't have to be like you know panicky and like oh my god, what's going to happen? Is it, you know, but you know, and I, I've put the two events on sale at the one time, so they don't sell it instantly. If yes. it had just been one one event, it would, you know, there was so much interest that it would have sold out instantly. So this should be relaxed because that's, you know, I, I'm trying to stop everything that sucks about festivals. Yeah, totally. And one of the biggest things that sucks about events is when it sells out when, you're, when you've just put your tickets in the cart yeah, yeah. and you're like, ah. Oh. So, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the biggest downer. So, um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just making myself work harder to make it easier for everyone, which is what I do. And yeah, that's so. how I love it. Right. Hey, Blink, thank you so much. Uh, aloham.com, check it out, people, uh, and get cool. amongst. We're going to go out on this uh, Misakosa and follow it up awesome. with some womb. Um, hey, all the best, mate. Been a pleasure to chat to you this evening. Thank you. Uh, see ya. All right. Cheers, brother.
Cooking, supported by Auckland Art Gallery Toyo Tamaki. Become a member today for great art benefits.